Today is a Sanctity of Life Sunday. The kids are dismissed. Dismissed the kids. <clears throat> Sanctity of Life Sunday. We know we have our theme for the year: more of Jesus, less of me. Uh, but we just take a little turn here, and we can uh, um, uh, forget this. So, if you go to uh, Proverbs chapter 22, Proverbs chapter 22. Psalms, Proverbs in the Old Testament. <clears throat> I'm going to read uh, two passages of Scripture, uh, both in, in Proverbs. Uh, one is Proverbs 22, 28. And it says there in Proverbs 22, 28, Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. And Proverbs 23, 10, if you flip it, Proverbs 23, 10, <clears throat> It says again, remove not the old landmark and enter not into the fields of the fatherless. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for landmarks. They're important. They resemble things that were done in the past. Lord, as we look at our nation, landmarks have been removed. Our hearts cry out. But it uh, seems like society is not have no turning back to keep on removing them. But we remember those landmarks. They mark lives of people, situations, decisions. Lord, help us, Lord, to be faithful to you this morning and for the rest of our days. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this is not your typical message. And uh, let me put it this way. I don't want to offend anyone. Uh, it's least of my preaching. I want to preach what God lays in my heart. But if you have committed an, ab an abortion, you online or here, and as you keep it secret, is between you and God. And they understand. God understands. Just ask the Lord to forgive you and move on with that. Because God forgives. He's a forgiving God. But today we're going to look at the sanctity of life. And uh, don't remove the landmarks. There are structures that are built not only, to serve a, uh, not only to serve a purpose, but to impress as well. Some of them are uh, icons, so to speak, uh, that we can see and recognize. Examples of these uh, here in America are the Lincoln Memorial is a landmark, the Statue of Liberty, the Empire State Building, the Brooklyn Bridge, the Washington Monument, Mount Rushmore, the National Memorial, Times Square, the Metrop Metropolitan Museum of Arts, United States Capitol, the Golden Gate Bridge, the Gateway Arch, the Liberty Bell, the Vietnam Memorial of uh, the Vietnam Veterans Memorial. I can give you a list of landmarks. Go on and on and on and on and on. So as you can see, our country is full of landmarks. But it's important for our country, state, town, or city to have a zone landmarks. A landmark is, uh, uh, is usually associated to the location where it was erected and then can be one of its biggest tourist drawings or attraction. Here are some of the reasons why landmarks are important. Number one, I, and you don't have this in your outline, but number one is a source of pride. Having a landmark always makes a community proud. It usually what sustains and spurs social, cultural, and economic activities. 
it revitalizes its people and somehow inspires and motivates them to do things in the community. So landmarks are usually uh, speedy in history, so they, ha they are what makes for a good story to tell the children and visitors. And God says, do not remove the landmarks. For an example, my property have landmarks. I have a landmark in my property. is a big stone sticking on the ground. I know it's a landmark. Uh, and the other day, they imagined the property looking for, uh, for the, to get the land for the next people to build a house, and they used that stone as a landmark. Uh, for example, a landmark is, for, uh, is a tourist generation or uh, uh, one of the biggest income generating ventures in any place is tourism. For some cities, tourism is actually the biggest source of revenue. Landmarks always play a big part in attracting visitors. Sometimes a landmark is even the only reason for some people to pack their bags and give the place a visit. You, have, you ever went to, uh, to Plymouth Rock? And you get there, you see what? <laughs> a rock. <laughs> you see a rock. <laughs> I know. I think, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say that. Actually, I, the first time I went there, I was like, all right, where's the rock? And garbage all over the rock. Then people threw in there, like, that's it? I came all the way here for that. But it's a landmark. <laughs> it's the rock called Plymouth Rock. <laughs> so uh, landmarks, uh, uh, for example, another thing is the value. Uh, aside from making a city more popular, landmarks improve the value of uh, the buildings and structures around them. The value of the property surrounding the landmark increases because of it. The real estate, uh, estate around the area uh, 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 gets more valuable. So this is why properties around an important landmark are typically, typically expensive, making the resale value very high. So landmarks are the heart and soul of any place. Without it, the city would not have, would not, uh, not have no interest by, to, be, to be visited by people. They may be the ancient structures or, or modern buildings or even statues. Or, or they were uh, there to impress, educate, inspire. Some landmarks are full of history. Washington, D.C. is full of history, a lot of landmarks. We had landmarks in the city of Providence that have been removed. Roger Williams Park was full of landmarks. It's been removed, full of history. So, well, unfortunately, some of our country landmarks, like I said, have fallen or taken away. Our nation continues to remove those precious landmarks established by God and by our forefathers. What can we do? When the nation of Israel possessed the land, God divided up the land into territories of each of twelve to each of the twelve tribes. They were marked by boundaries and landmarks. Over the years, people tried to reestablish the boundaries by moving the landmarks. God said twice in these verses right here, do not remove the landmarks. If God said it once is important, if God said it twice, it means don't do it. So let's look at this from several points this morning about the um, the sanctity of life and don't move the landmarks. Number one, the landmark of Scripture has been removed. Look at Proverbs 8, 29, 18. Where there is no vision, the people are perish. Our country was called a Christian nation at one time. America was found on Christianity, and for many years it continued to grow. I mean, if you look, if you literally, if you want to found or find the history of America, it's found on Christian principles. It was a Christian nation. Now, if we fast forward to 2023, don't call America a Christian nation because it's not. 
The Bible on which was a landmark of this country for many years was removed from the public arena. And today in America we see the results of a landmark that has been removed. There was a time on which God's word was, was of great value in this country and, uh, of ours. The halls of government, courtrooms, public schools, public places, the work, the work of God was held, or the, uh, the book of God was held with the, with the most respect. Prayer in public schools was a place that, that was there. You know, I remember praying in school. The Bible became irrelevant in the life of many American people. The Bible became insignificant, old, out of date for many people. The landmark of God's word was lifted. And the result is right before our very eyes. And we say, what is wrong with America? First, let me tell you this way, it's not the politics. It's people's hearts. They remove God from the public arena. When that football player collapsed, we saw a picture of how fast people can run to God. But it's been removed. Scripture was a landmark of this country since its very foundation. Is Scripture important? Is Scripture worth keeping? Turn on the radio or, you, or the YouTube or any social media on the day, that, on, on the day, on, I'm sorry, and on any day, you will find a waves, waves or videos that you said fill of uh, obscenity, profanity, or vulgarity. And people are watching those things and laugh like it's funny. You know what they do? They fill in their hearts with garbage. It was said that when the landmark of Scripture was taken away, no prayer in schools. The Ten Commandments have been taken away from the public arena of America. Our nation, our country was founded upon biblical principles and Bible reading and prayer were long part of our daily schedule and actually even in public school. Although our culture was directed by Judeo-Christian ethics for the first 150 plus years, the U.S. is currently not a Christian nation. Our nation is marked by great diversity of opinions and religion. One of the blessings of this country is the government-mandated freedom of expression and religion. So many countries have governments that mandate the practice of one religion and outlaw all the others. But praise the Lord, we can still worship Him together in a public way and not being persecuted. Praise the Lord for that. But let me tell you, how long is it going to take before this landmark will be taken away? And what you have to hide, like in some countries. God said, do not remove the landmarks. Do not remove it. Because when we remove it, you take pieces away. Number two, we see the landmark of the sanctity of life has been removed. Go to Psalm 139, verse 14. Psalm 139, verse 14. I tell you, folks, this is not an easy message to preach, and I apologize. But look what it says in verse 14. I praise thee. 
I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works. And then my soul knoweth right well. You say the beauty of holding a child? That's the beautiful, or the beauty of life. How wonderful to hold a baby, a child, in your arms. Jeremiah 1.5 says, Before I was formed in the belly, before I was formed, I knew thee, God says. And before thou comest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee and ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. How many children, the right to be somebody were taken away? How many people, how many children could be something in this world and did something great for humanity? That right was taken away. God is the creator and the giver of life. And life proceeds from God. Life is a precious thing. Life is also fragile. Life must be respected. I tell you folks, if we respect another human being because he's made in the image of God, if we respect each other that way, our world would be a better world to live in. More love will be expressed. More care will be expressed. There were landmarks put in place so we could respect the dignity of human life. But there was a time in the society at which the landmark of the sanctity of life was lifted. And from that point on, we can see the uncaring disrespect towards human life. So we don't call a baby anymore, and so we don't feel guilty about it. We call it a fetus. So we don't feel guilty. It's not a baby, it's a fetus. By the way, when a, 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 woman, a woman is with child, we don't say, uh, my wife is with a fetus. We say, my wife is with child. That landmark has been removed. We were born as a nation. We respected the value of life. And our forefathers believed in a creator that brought life into existence. So we see the landmark of the sanctity of life has been removed. But A, we see crime. Now we are a nation with streets flowing with blood. Actually, in many cities, and I'm going to men don't mention that, there are certain areas aren't you, which you don't want to go. That's how much we hate each other. The disrespect that goes that people to go and take advantage of another human being. So we, we grow so far from God that crime rate is, is all over the place as a landmark. We're not respecting each other. The hate, the rage, the disrespect, disregard for human life. Life is so great in those areas that many people lose their lives. Or life is uh, our young dying on the streets. Our young are being threatened and many killed in school systems. Child abuse is rampant. The majority of crime against children are being committed by someone related to them. We are a nation... They used to glorify God, folks. And now we glorified violence. How did we get to this bloodthirsty state? I believe there's a direct correlation right here between the rise in violence in our society and the legalization of abortion. How can we respect life of any if we fail to respect 
and protect life in the womb. If we will not, if we will not speak up for the most innocent of all, the unborn, who have no voice to speak with, what will become of us? So our children are killing each other in the streets of America. How many mothers are crying because their child or their teenager was killed by a violent crime? How many gangs of children, young children, their parents don't even know about are out there? I have a whole slew of information about FBI files and what the violence in America. I'm going to make you cry if I going to show this thing to you, but I'm going to just overlook because I'm not in, in a condition to tell you that right this morning, but it shocks you. The violence that goes on each and every day in our country. Children killing children. Where they learn those things? Landmarks have been removed. Let it be, we see abortion. Look at Psalm 100, verse 3. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that had made us, and now we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So I'm going to suggest the Bible does not specifically address the matter of sanctity of life on the abortion issue. Nothing can be further from the truth. The Bible is overflowing us teaching regardless of the sanctity of life. It's obvious conclusion that the one destruction of life in any state, either born or unborn, it, it is a grave will. Thou shalt not kill. Surely applies to the unborn baby as well, to the developing child or mature adult. There are many serious questions relating to abortion issue. You ready for that? Is the unborn baby a human being? When it comes to this, folks, this is a very sensitive issue to talk about because people hate you for talking like this or people love you for talking like this. But is a, a baby or, or, or is the unborn a human being? Is the unborn a person? Is this one. Does the unborn have a soul? If we agree with all these questions, and we say yes, why do we call them a fetus? Oh, it's a scientific medical term. Really? I don't like that word, to be honest with you. I do not like that word. I had a fetus, then I got rid of the fetus. No, you had a baby, you got rid of the baby. It is wrong to, to terminate the life of an unborn child. These and other questions relating to the, uh, to the abortion are explicit address, addressed in the Word of God. Number one, when does life begin? I had a man that claimed to be a Christian. We had an argument with me about this. Oh, when did life begin? You know what I said to him? At the moment of conception, right there. Even before that, God already knew. He said, show me. I said, go to Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5. Before, God says, I formed thee. Before you came to be, 
God says, I already knew you. Wow. For us to say that it's part of the, you, the woman's body, that is an outright lie. There's a different DNA in there. You know why? Because it's a different person. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou comest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee and ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. The fact that human life began with Adam and when God shaped a man in his, in his own image and breathed unto him the bread of life, Genesis 2-7, this life is, is, uh, this life is, uh, is transmitted from generation to gen generation in an unbroken chain that links Adam and Eve with every child that has ever been conceived in his mother's womb. The developing, developed child is a human life, uh, and, and, and that's what it is, not a fetus. So when did life begin? You know how I put it? This man put it at the moment of conception. Is the unborn a human being? Number two. Webster Dictionary defines human as having human form or attributes. It is further defined being a substance, nature, and essence of anything existent, one that exists. Can anyone rationally conclude the unborn child is not a human being? This, this, to suggest is not, a, is not a, a being or to suggest it doesn't exist. Certainly it does exist and is therefore a being. Father, to suggest it is not a human being is to imply it must be some other kind of being. If it is some other kind of being, what kind is it? So we don't call it anything else. We call it a fetus. Why we call it a fetus? Is it human or not human? Is a child or not child? Oh, my wife is with the dog. With the dog. Oh, my wife is with the... Oh, we don't say that. My wife is with child. Oh, so this person is with child. It is if some other kind of being, what kind is? A pig? A cow? A duck? It is a vegetable or perhaps some organic thing? Surely this developing child within the mother's womb from the moment of conception is a human being with all the potential of uh, Einstein or Billy Graham or anybody else. Obviously, any time we terminate the life of an unborn child, we are, in fact, taking the life of a human being, of somebody that has a potential to do great things. Aren't you glad your mother let you live? I would like to ask the question to somebody that's against that. I'm like, listen, aren't you glad you are alive? Oh, yeah. Aren't you glad your mother let you live? Oh, yeah, so you're pro-life. But you don't want others to live, but you want to live. Okay, my body, my choice. What about his body, his choice? Let him live and let him choose. You want to die or live? Oh. Number two, or number three, is the unborn a child or a person? I mean, a child person. I don't know how I wrote this thing. Look what it says in Psalm 139, verse 13. For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. Psalm 139, verse 14 says, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance 
is not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest part of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being imperfect, and, and in my book all my members were written, which uh, in continu con continuance with fashion, when as yet there was none of them. He describes right here. Notice how often the psalmist refers to himself in his unborn condition with the personal pronouns, me or I. In this short passage, the psalmist used the person pronoun ten times under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. The psalmist opened the clears of personhood even while it was yet in the mother's womb and affirmed the sanctity of life of the unborn. This passage plainly indicates that in, that in the mother's womb, God creates a new individual, even as he created Adam in the beginning. Listen, it's not part of the mother. It's a new, another person in there. Different DNA. Consider the marvelous occasion when Mary visited the cousin, uh, her cousin Elizabeth several months pregnant with John the Baptist. When God knew, uh, when God good news of the Messiah coming was declared, the Bible says, and the babe leaped in her womb. The Bible doesn't say the fetus leaped in her womb, it says the baby leaped in her womb. Luke further declares that John was filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. Luke 1.15, the Holy Ghost also fills people, not tissue or cells. There was a lady, uh, let me put it like this. Let me give you an illustration. The infamous Roe versus Wade's decision in 1973, the Supreme Court concluded that the unborn child was not really human, nor as a person, therefore was not protected by the right of life assured, assured persons by the U.S. Constitution. The Supreme Court concluded that the unborn fetus was merely a part of the mother's body, not a separate human individual. Uh, this is... Uh, reminiscent of the Dred Scott division in which the scripture, the Supreme Court concludes that the, the black slaves were not really persons and therefore had no rights under the Constitution. Obviously, this uh, reasoning flies in the face of plain biblical teaching uh, of the humanity and personhood of the unborn child. The Bible doesn't say such a thing. A baby is a baby is a human being, no matter what color of skin that person might have. Who are, are we are, who are we to actually come to a point and say, that's not human, that's not human? Right. We put our places in the place of God. It is interesting to note that most often when someone is planning to terminate the life of an unborn and destroy this miracle of God's creation, they refer to unborn as a fetus or an embryo. By contrast, when they plan to keep the child and cherish it, it is always known as my baby or my child. Did you ever heard anyone says, I'm going to have a little fetus? Did you ever heard an abortionist say, we are going to kill the little baby? Our respect for the, human, for the unborn seems to be strangely affected by circumstances. Number four, does the unborn baby have a soul? The Bible does not teach that man uh, has a soul as a separate part of his uh, autonomy uh, as he has lived 
or, or a lung, or, or, as a liver or a lung, but rather that man is a living soul, the Bible says. When God created man in his own image, he distinguished him from the rest of the animal creation. By bringing unto him and his body the bread of life, he became a living soul. The Bible says specifically a living soul. The fact alone should demand the other most respects for a human being. And this should be a cause to say abortion is wrong. We're literally taking someone else's life. And you know what? I don't care where we're going. I don't care if they block me on Facebook. I would never agree with such a thing. I would never. I don't care what, what society goes. Nobody can convince me that's not taking somebody else's life. It is taking somebody else's life. We rob that person of the opportunity of doing great things in this world. Maybe we're taking the life of someone that could be the next president or the next preacher or the next missionary or the next football player, whatever that is. Does a baby have a, human, have a soul? Of course it does. Right. Number five, is abortion ever justified? Even though the Bible clearly commands, thou shalt not kill, and even through the Bible continually, continually affirms the sanctity of human life, the Bible does not teach about elimin eliminating life. No. And people say, what about rapes? What about incest? What about this stuff? Yeah, what about? It's not the child's fault. It's not the child's fault. I cannot raise this child because it reminds me of what I went through. Okay, someone would love to raise that child. There's always a solution, folks. There's always a solution. If you don't like coffee, drink tea. If you don't like tea, drink water. It's always a solution, right? It's very practical. Oh, it reminds me. Okay, you don't have to see that child anymore, but you don't have to get rid of the child in such a dramatic fashion just because what you went through. Somebody would love and embrace that child or love that child in a way that you don't even imagine. No way in the Bible you find the Bible saying that thou shalt do this. No. Remember when the Egyptians told the children of Israel to throw the kids in the Nile River? What the woman said. We're not like the Egyptian woman. We don't do those things. We don't kill our children. Talking about population control, right? Let me give you an illustration. The late Ethel Waters, this is his name, famous gospel singer, is only one of many who was conceived and born as a result of rape. What a blessing her life was, how it has been to the world and for the kingdom of God. What a blessing for that mother to let that child live. It is poss possible uh, of the unborn child 
justify to justify abortion? No. Anytime we d we terminate to abort a, a baby because it may possibly be handicapped, we are forced to make serious value judgment, which are really reserved only for God. Our sister, our music leader, pastor Jonathan Strickland, their child has many problems, physical problems in the womb. The doctor told him, it's not worth having this child. It's going to be a lot of problems for you. You should just abort the child. They said, no way. We would love this child like we love any other one that we, God would give us. Yeah, the child. Yes, there's some difficulties and physical problems, but I see the pictures on Facebook. She's loved. Let me give you one right here. I've got to see. Euthanasia. Here's a landmark that men lifted. Euthanasia, sometimes called mercy killing, can be a difficult issue. On one hand, we do not want to take a person's life onto his own hands, into our own hands, and end it prematurely. On the other hand, we do not want to prolong the process of dying more than necessary. That is, we don't want to preserve life, but we don't want to prolong death. At what point do we simply allow a person to die and take no further action to extend life or his life or her life? Do we later choose that of assistant suicide? Essentially, a person seeks assistant suicide is seeking to euthanize himself with the aid of another person to ensure that that is quick and painless. The person assisting the suicide facilitates the death by making preparations and furnishing the needs equipped. But the person seeking that is the one who actually initiates the process. By taking hands off, approach the debt himself, the facilitator seeks to avoid charges or murder. Proponents or assistant suicide try to, for positive spans by using terms like debt, debt with dignity. But debt with dignity is still debt. Assistant suicide is still suicide, and suicide is wrong. It's like this. God, I don't want this life that you give me. You can take it. And people say, what about the quality of life? Every day is the quality of life. It's the life that God gave us. We're removing those landmarks. We live in a, in a, we live in a, a what we sometimes describe as a culture of debt. Abortion or the man has been uh, on the man has been practiced for decades. Now some are seriously proposing uh, infanticide or uh, euthanasia is promoted as a as as a available means of solving various problems of society. All oh, that takes too much money to keep these people. Let's get rid of them. So we're gonna. Oh, oh, it's not good for economy to get these people. So let's get rid of them. The landmarks have been removed. Well, you're too old. We don't need you. You're too expensive. Let's get rid of them. Life is a precious gift from God. Don't matter if you're 100 or 200 or if you are one day old or if you're still in the womb. It's still life. 
And it's blooming, it's life. Oh, so, but they're too old. It doesn't matter. It's still life. This focus of death as an answer to the world's problems is a total reversal of biblical model. Death is an enemy, folks. Deuteronomy, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 26. Life is a secret gift from God. When given the choice between life and death, God told Israel to choose life. You want to write this down? Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. Euthanasia spurs the gift and embraces the curse. That is a natural occurrence. We know that. Sometimes God allows a person to suffer for a long time before death occurs. Other times a person's suffering is cut short. Even Paul said to the Lord, take this away from me. And God says, I won't take it from you. He learned how to live with the pain. And many of us, we have our pains, and the older we get, they come even more, they get more real. And some people say, uh, so people, I love when people, the older elderly people say, you know, uh, age is not for sissies. I believe that to be true. It's not for sissies, it takes courage. Oh, when I get to the golden years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Those golden years are now. Every day is a golden year. Every day is a golden day. No one enjoys suffering. Who wants, listen, who enjoys suffering? Who gets up in the morning and say, oh, I love to be hurting today? <laughs> who does that? No one. No one loves to suffer. You know, that's not natural to us. We don't want. I mean, when I have a headache, the first thing is always the Tylenol. <laughs> I mean, I want that thing to get away from me as fast as it came in. Goodness, this week I, was, I got to work and I got a massive headache and it suddenly just came out of nowhere. And I was like, oh, my word. I was like, I'd seen things like cricket. I mean, go get some Tylenols. Oh, what a relief. And anyone said, praise the Lord. Who invented Tylenols anyway? <laughs> you know, praise the Lord for that. But sometimes the Lord allows to uh, suffer for a long time. No one enjoys suffering, but that does not make it right to, to terminate a person's life. Often God's purpose are made known through suffering. When times are good, be happy. But when times are sad, consider. Consider the love of God when times are not good. You know, sometimes it's through the bad situations of life on which we understand the love of God. And how much He cares and loves us. I mean, when I was dealing with cancer, believe me, even though it was suffering, it was a sweet time on which I got so close to the Lord. I love that the, the hands of people say, I'm praying for you, the hugs, all that, I appreciate all that. But ultimately, the sweet fellowship, through suffering, I got to know God more. Look what it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 14. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. But in the day of adversity, consider. Romans 5, 3 says, and now only so, but we glory in tribulations also. Knowing that tribulations work at what? Patience. God cares about uh, those who cry out, uh, out for, for, for that in which, uh, in which to end their suffering. God gives, gives purpose in life even to the end. Only God knows what is best. And His timing, even in the matter of one's death, is perfect. Live. Enjoy and live until God says it's time to come home. Your mission is over. Don't you know that we are in a mission on earth? What is our mission? 
to be lighthouses for God, to tell them about the love of God, to actively hasting that is wrong. To passively withhold treatment can be wrong as well. But to allow that to occur naturally in a terminally ill person is not necessarily wrong. It takes the course of life. Anyway, fa facing this issue, should, uh, should, we should pray for God to give us wisdom. Number three, the landmark of morality. Morality is something on which society take seriously, uh, don't take seriously anymore. People's standards have dropped dramatically. Morality is now being pushed, is being pushed to the side. The landmark of morality is taken aside, and the result is before our hand. The free and careless way on which profanity is spoken in front of women, elderly, and children, and women use those profanities as well. The disrespect of the way kids speak to their parents, the disrespect and attitude and actions towards public authority, shaking, uh, uh, shaking it up to get outside the bounds, I mean, uh, shaking, uh, shaking up, I'm sorry, to get outside the bounds of marriage and call that marriage, it's wrong. The, disrespe the disinterest, disrespect for God and His Word, we continually see the breaking down of morality in our country. So we see cars, especially in the summertime, on which people and the radios turn up as much as high as they can. And the profanity that comes out of those cars, it blows my mind. And they're going along singing like they think it's okay. Then they call you by the same names that they just heard. It's just me. I'm old-fashioned. Is that just me? Get this. 50% of U.S. adults now say that it's not necessary to believe in God to be moral and have good values. Up from 49% who expressed this view back. This increase reflects the continual growth in the share of the population that has no religious affiliation at all, but also is the result of changing attitude among those who do not identify with religion. Or identify with religion, I'm sorry. Among while evangelists, evangel uh, I mean, Protestant Christians, I'm sorry, 32% now say believing God is not necessary to have good values and be a moral person. And up from 26%, you said this way back in 2011. When people are going to wake up and realize that just being a good moral person is not going to get you to heaven. We need spiritual fire in our churches, we, we, but we, need, we will never have, have it unless someone throws some, some wood into the fire. What about preaching and standing up against immorality? About the disrespect that goes on towards other people and to parents and parents to children? The more we walk away from the Lord, the more we are justifying ourselves that those things are okay. So we say, it's my priority. I have my freedom. I can speak the way I want. Yeah, but respect fits, fits everywhere, doesn't it? Here's the landmarks. The landmark of morality is taken. Why we speak the way we do? Because we don't respect our fellow man. That comes down to that. Hate. Animosity, grudges, abortion, euthanasia, all comes from wrong view of God and His moral absolutes. When morality is broken, all those things become easy to do in the minds of those who don't follow God. 
God loves life. God is the giver of life. God is the creator of life. Life is to be respected. Why? Because we are made in the image of God. So it is the person next to you. I'll conclude with this. Respect your fellow man. Doesn't matter what nationality, what color their skin they are. They are people made in the image of God. Respect them. Put your standard high the way God wants you to do. Stand for what God stands and, and, and hate what God hates. Don't remove the landmarks of morality away from your life. Live it. Folks, we begin to, to move the landmarks and society is going to get worse and worse. God says do not remove the landmarks. All right, so God says do not remove. We removing it. Are we doing good? We're going to remove some more. Where this is going to? Somebody said this way: When you open the gates wide, everything comes in because the gates are open. Let's pray, Heavenly Father. Thank you, Lord, for the sanctity of life. Lord, you tell us not to remove the landmarks. Help us not to do that, Lord. Help us to keep the landmarks. Because by removing, we see the results in our society. We see the results in the lives of...